Bibles, turn to Hebrews 1. Hebrews 1. I, I always um, seem to think that the next series I'm doing is the most important series I've ever preached. Uh, and I appreciate the fact the Lord gives me a passion for um, the, the series that we're going to do. Uh, look up here for just a second. Let me give you some background. A couple of weeks ago, I went to uh, Colorado with my brother to seek after the Lord and to pray, to seek after him personally. And, and I don't know why, maybe at 10,000 feet, the Lord is closer, but I just seem to hear him better uh, in the mountains in Colorado, just kind of unplugging from everything and, and getting away. And I, and I have to admit that uh, when I went and to this, this time, I, I was... I was facing a, a certain amount of discouragement in my life personally and for us corporately. Um, we've been through a lot of changes, a lot of transitions over the last three years. Uh, we as the elders and believe we've heard from the Lord about the direction of fullness. We still feel totally confident in where the church is headed and what's going on. Not everybody had a total confidence in that. So there were some uh, very um, old friends who, who left us as a result of that. Uh, it's always discouraging when people leave. It's always discouraging. Um, it's always hard not to take it personally as a pastor. Um, but at the same time, trying to hear from God. And, and then I was examining my own life, and I'm turning, I, I turned 55, and I'm getting older. And um, I was looking at myself and thinking, why am I no better than I am? I mean, at 55, I've had a a wonderful, wonderful life. Uh, I have all the benefits that a person should have. I, I, I've, I was raised in a godly family, a godly home. I, I've followed the Lord uh, my life. I've, I've prayed. I've fasted. I've sought after, after God. Lord knows I've gone to church more than any person probably should. Uh, I've been in church my whole life, and yet I look at myself thinking, why am I still struggling? with certain sins and thoughts and behaviors and attitudes. And I started looking at what does it mean to really follow after Jesus and to praise through some certain aspects that life, life is hard. Somewhere along the line, I picked up this truth that Jesus died for me, and he made me holy, and now I have to, I have to act right, and I have to act better, and to act better all the time. And the, the, the kind of the, the word that's used in the church is the word sanctification. God made me holy, but now I'm in the process of being made holy. And the process of being made holy be, means that I act better. And I started thinking, is that really right? Is the whole goal of this thing for me to act better? If, if the whole goal of this endeavor of the Christian life is for me to act better then I really wish Jesus would just take me home now because I am failing miserably at the acting better part. And there's a certain frustration in the Christian life when the whole goal of this thing is for me to act better. 
As a matter of fact, if I do act better, because I'm working really hard at acting better, then now I've got another problem. Pride rises up within me. Because now I can look around and say, look at me. Look at how much better I'm acting. I'm acting better than them. I'm acting better than them. There's something something missing here that I believe is really important to us as followers of Jesus Christ. Now listen, don't jump in the ditch on the other side. Don't jump in the ditch that says, "Uh uh-oh, Pastor Bart's about to preach that it don't matter how I act. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. There is a certain call to our lives to follow the commands of Jesus, but but there's got to be a way that it's accomplished where when I stumble and fall, which I'm going to do, I don't feel condemned, but that instead I still walk in the power and presence of the joy of the Lord, right? In other words, I feel convicted for what I've done. I want to turn to Christ, but at the same time I experience his joy versus the condemnation of the enemy who's always crouching at my door saying how terrible I am, that I'm a worthless believer or a worthless Christian. As a matter of fact, if we're not careful, this struggle between how we act and the joy of the Lord and the difficulty of following after Jesus on a day-to-day basis and the relationship with him can become so discouraging that it's easier just to really give up. It's easier just to say, you know what, this really doesn't matter. I'm gonna, I still believe in Jesus, uh, and I pray that when I die, I go to heaven. But as far as the rest of this, we become apathetic in our Christian life. We, we become lethargic. We, we quit really pressing in to the presence of the Lord. We start to become discouraged when we, we, we have things that are setbacks in our lives because we, we've lost sight of something. We've lost sight of where we, who we are and what we're supposed to be doing. There's a, there's a book in the Bible where this is really part of what's going on. It's a, it's a letter, really a treatise, that's written to a group of people who were Jewish but now have become Christians. Uh, we don't know who wrote the book. Um, there's a lot of speculation over who the author of the book is, but in, in essence, without going through all the who might have written it, we, we, there's no way to know. We just don't know who wrote it. We also don't know where these people were that he's writing to. We know they're Jewish, and we know that they live in a big city. Um, could be Rome, could be Jerusalem, could be, we were, a lot of, again, a lot of speculation about where these people live. So these people were Jewish, then they became Christian. But the author of the book of Hebrews says that they've become slothful, that They were undergoing persecution. They were having trials and troubles. um, That they were not, they were no longer giving earnest heed to the message of the gospel. That they were neglecting their salvation. That they they were not holding fast their profession, their confidence. Some were just ready to die. Others had just given up and were existing in the Christian life. And some were actually thinking about going back to Judaism because they found the Christian life so difficult. And the author of Hebrews says, don't give up, press forward, press on. What are you going to go back to? What are you going to go back to? 
And here's the premise of the entire book of Hebrews. It's this. Jesus is greater than everything. Jesus is greater than the prophets. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than the sacrificial system. Jesus is greater than the law. Jesus is greater than everything. Why go back to the less than when you've got the greater than in the person of Jesus Christ? Hence, we're going to do this series, Consider Jesus. Now, this phrase is used at least twice in the book of Hebrews, and I don't know if you get the symbolism of the greater than symbol, but consider Jesus greater than. And you know what? You can put anything you want on the other side of the equation. Jesus is greater than your sickness. Jesus is greater than your problems. Jesus is greater than your circumstances. Jesus is greater than. Consider Jesus, and when you press into Christ, press into Jesus, then you are on the right track. This is a series where I'm calling all of us to really, really consider Jesus. Jesus Jesus is more than the door to the Christian life. Jesus is the foundation. Jesus is the house. Jesus is the attic. He is is everything. You will never move away from Jesus. Rather, you're going to move deeper into him as you walk out your Christian life. Now, this is not just a lot of theological mumbo-jumbo. I mean, it could get to that, but I'm praying it doesn't. I'm praying that we really receive the truth that the author of Hebrews gives us. I'm convinced this is critical. I, I, I believe there are a number of people here today who have been Christians for a long time and you've become discouraged in your Christian life. You, you've become apathetic. You've become downcast. You're still going to church. You're still coming to church. Obviously, you're here, but there's something emotionally in you that you're struggling with. And you're thinking, why bother with this whole Christian thing? I'm just going to live my life like I want. I couldn't be any unhappier than I am right now. Or, I'm not going to go back, but why keep trying? I'm just going to sit back and exist for the rest of my life. Or you're thinking, maybe, maybe what I need is a fresh shot of passion. So I'm going to go to a conference. I'm going to go to another church. I'm going to go to somewhere where I can get another shot. Maybe it'll motivate me to try harder. Or you may even be here today thinking, you know what, I had my chance to fulfill my destiny and I missed it. And because I missed it, because I screwed up, because I, I made the wrong decision or married the wrong person or, or, or whatever the case may be, I sinned very badly. God has passed me by and there is no hope for me and now all I can do is kind of exist. I want to say to you today, Jesus is greater than any of those things. And if we have hope in Christ, then we have enough. 
if indeed, as we've been seeing, Christ is enough for me, then he's enough for everything that you need. Consider Jesus. Hebrews 1. I'm going to read Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, and then I'm going to read Hebrews 2, 1 through 4, and we're going to look at these together. First, Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. In the past days, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Skip down to chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by the angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received as just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Now, I'm going to try to take apart this passage, but I don't want to get so bogged down in it that we miss the big, the big picture. These are very, very rich passages. But let's look at them from kind of this perspective of consider Jesus. The first point is this. God speaks finally in Jesus. Finally in Jesus. And by that, this is God's final, complete revelation of himself, the person of Jesus Christ. Look at verses 1 through 3 of Hebrews 1. In the past, back when, Old Testament, God spoke to our forefathers how? Through the prophets, at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, and by the way, we are in the last days. From the period, moment Jesus came until the moment Jesus returns, we're in the last days. In these last days, He has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. Then he says, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Let's take apart what's being said here. He says, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. The Greek word translated representation here is the, is the word that has to do with character. We're being told that God is speaking to us through Jesus. Now, well, listen to this. He's not just giving us information about who he is. He is revealing himself. He is communicating himself, his character, his nature to us through Jesus in order that we can have a relationship with him. Now, there's a big difference here. If I'm just communicating information, telling you about, oh, I don't know, let's, let's pick some sports star. Uh, I'll, I'll talk about it. 
if I was communicating to you about Derek Jeter and tell you he's a shortstop for the Yankees, he played all these games, he's just passed Honus Wagner on the all-time hit list, he's retiring at the end of this year, I'm just giving you information about Derek Jeter. I don't know Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter doesn't know me. I don't really know about Derek Jeter's character. There are a lot of things out there that talk about it and this or that. He's kind of looked up to as a, as a major league baseball player. But I'm just giving you information. I'm not really giving you what you need in order to have a friendship or a relationship with Derek Jeter. God sent Jesus to reveal himself to us. He is the exact representation, not a, not a kind of picture, an ethereal thing. He is the exact representation of who God is, revealing his character so that we can have a relationship with God. In addition, we're told that he is not just merely a word about Christ, about the Father, about God. He is God's final word. It's not just words. He is the word. And the difference is monumental. He is the word made flesh. He says in the past, the prophets, the Old Testament, they had parts and pieces. And that's what he's, uh, that's really what it means when he says, in the past, um, the prophets spoke in various ways. They revealed just a segment about who God is, just different parts. Now, Jesus comes, and he is the exact representation. He is the complete, the final picture. There's a contrast between the many prophets and the one son. There were many prophets, but there's only one son. The prophet's words were fragmentary and incomplete. They, he's going to point this out in Hebrews, that they're just shadows and parts, but Jesus is the complete and final picture that God wants us to see. Let me see if I can word this right. Stop and reflect on this for just a moment. You cannot really have a relationship with a person until you receive them for who they finally are. Now think about this. We get married. We want to have a relationship with the person that we're marrying, right? I mean, that's, that's why we get married. Uh, and we love them. We, we think it's wonderful. I went to a wedding yesterday. Everybody's so happy. It's just such a joyous, beautiful, great time. And then you get home. And you realize there's a person here who disagrees with me. There's a person here who crosses my will. There's a person here who wow, this is not all that I thought it was going to be. And so there's this, for a period of time, there's this kind of negotiating that takes place. And you can negotiate on some certain things. But there comes a point in every marriage where you realize, holy mackerel, this is them. <laughs> I mean, this is, they're not changing. This is really them. And there's a point in every marriage where you realize, I receive them for who they really are. 
or this is going to be, this is not going to be a relationship. Because if all I have in this relationship is how can I change this person and they're not going to change, relationship starts to get torn and broken. Can I get an amen somewhere? I mean, you've got to receive them for who they are. Kathy and I joke around all the time saying something like this. You knew what I was like when you married me. And, you know, the response is generally, I, I really didn't. I mean, I saw some glimpses, but, but until we receive them for who they really are, we can't have a relationship with them. You want intimacy, but you want intimacy with a person, and a person has a will. You're going to have to accept the finalities, the non-negotiables about who they are. Now... <clears throat> Years back, there was a movie where the men of Stepford, Connecticut, really didn't like this idea of receiving the wife for who they really are. They wanted their wives to be beautiful, compliant, great cooks and lovers who did exactly what they wanted them to do. So they put little microchips in them that made them more like robots than people. The women were just happy in the kitchen, whipping up a great meal, always looking good in their dresses, their hair done, their makeup, doing whatever the men wanted. But if you watch the movie, the truth is something vital is missing from the picture. And it's the personal relationship was gone. But that's what many people want from God. They want a God that can they can control. They want a God who loves but never judges. They want a God who allows people to pursue their own happiness without consequence. They want, they want a Stepford God. But the real God revealed in the Bible, and particularly here in Hebrews, God is not a God with a microchip. God was not made by man for man. Jesus is the final revelation of God to man. And there's a finally here that says we either accept and receive the finality of who God is in the person of Jesus Christ, or we can never really have a relationship with God. We can pretend we have a relationship. We can try to create Jesus in the image we want him to be and God in the image we want him to be. But at some point, we have to either say, This is the Jesus I believe in, and this Jesus I believe in is God and his final revelation, or we cannot have a relationship with God. Second point is this. God speaks fully in Jesus. In other words, the revelation that Jesus gives us of God is not a partial revelation. It is the fullest and most complete revelation of who God is. This passage, from a theological point, is filled with superlatives of what's called Christological theology about who Jesus is. Uh, Let's read the passage, and then I'll, I'll tell you what I mean. But in these last days, he's spoken to us, how? By his Son, 
whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Here are the things it says about Jesus, and you can underline them in your, your outline if you want to. But just put all these together to get a full picture of who Jesus is. He is the heir. He is the heir. What is he, what is he inheriting? He's going to inherit everything. He receives all things. Because Jesus Christ came and died, he receives all glory. He is the inheritor of everything, heaven, earth, the universe, all of it. Now, here's some good news. You're a co-heir with Jesus. You, you don't inherit anything because you did anything on your own. Because you came into Christ, according to Romans, you are a co-inheritor with him, which should be, by the way, really, really, really good news. Not only is he the heir of all things, but he is the creator of all things. Jesus was the one through whom the universe was made. Through him, everything was made that was made, according to John 1, 3. Now, I'm going to hit these. We could, we could spend a sermon on every single one of these. I just want to hit the points. He is the radiance of God's glory. Remember in the Old Testament, the, the cloud that went before them in the day and the pillar of fire at night, that, that, that is called the Shekinah glory of God. It is the glory of God. And then when Solomon's temple was dedicated, the glory cloud descends uh, in the temple and the priests can't even do their priestly duties because the glory of God falls and it's so thick. Jesus Christ is that glory in human form. He is the radiance of God's glory. He is also the exact representation of his being. Jesus is completely the same as the Father. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's the one through whom everything is sustained. Not only did Jesus create everything, but by his word, all that is sustained, I mean the universe, the the, the cells in your bodies, the atoms, everything is sustained by the word of Christ. He's the one who purifies us from all of our sins. He's the one through whom the sacrifice was made. Just as we celebrated at the Lord's Supper this morning, the blood of Christ. Because of that, we have forgiveness of sins. He is also the king. He's also the king. The king of glory, he sat, sits down, he is enthroned, he rules and reigns, he sits down at the right hand of God the Father, indicating that his work is finished. The author of Hebrews is very clear here. Jesus is the final word of who God is because he is God. Look at this list. Only God could do these things. And Jesus Christ is God. He is the fullest revelation of who God is. When the prophets came, they came saying this, Thus saith the Lord. When Jesus came, he flipped the terminology because he didn't have to say, Thus saith the Lord, because he is the Lord. 
And he said, truly, truly, I say unto you. We'll see in the coming weeks how Jesus is far superior to everything else and that he's God's full and final word about him, God, given to us. Here's, here's what I want you to see. There is no other word. If Jesus is the final and fullest revelation of God, that means there is no other word. Hello? Are you with me? So, if you're going around looking for a word from God, where do you go? You go to Jesus. If indeed Jesus is the fullest and final word of God, then we should be delving deeper into Christ. What does that mean about all these other revelations about who God supposedly is? Muhammad, I'm going to... I'm just going to go there. Muhammad, Mormonism, anything else since Jesus Christ came. It's heretical. It is not true. If Jesus is, if we believe Hebrews, that he is the final and fullest, there is nothing that comes after that can reveal more fully or finally who God is. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's been observed that in these opening verses that it describes Jesus as the prophet through whom God's final word has been spoken, as the priest who made purification for our sins, and as the king, the one who's enthroned at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Here's the other thing I would say. Any other Jesus that people preach is not the real Jesus. Any other Jesus that doesn't include all these characteristics about Christ, they can use the name of Jesus, they can talk about Jesus, but if it's not this Jesus, it's not Jesus. What does this mean for us? It's kind of an awkward wording, but God speaks furiously, and I don't mean angrily, but furiously in Jesus. Here's what he says in Hebrews 2, and we're going to revisit this passage in a couple weeks. He says, we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. When he says we must pay more careful attention, that that wording is, is not really strong enough for the way that the Greek describes it. The author of Hebrews is saying this. We should be furiously obsessed with Jesus. We must pay more careful attention. You know, if I say to my children, hey, pay attention to me. Pay attention to me. I want your eyes right here. I, I mean, I'm demanding their attention. This works like 20 levels up from that. We need to be furiously obsessed with Jesus. Why? He says, so that we do not, what? Hello? So that we do not drift away. Is that not in your bulletin somewhere on the screen? So that we do not drift away. You know, if you're here today and you're feeling apathetic, or you're feeling like overly discouraged, or you're feeling like giving up, 
Could it be that the problem is we've, in our attempt to live the Christian life, we've made the fatal mistake of moving away from Jesus toward some other experience, some other thing? He goes on and says, For if the message spoken by angels was binding, he's comparing, if what the angels said was binding, and every violation and disobedience received as just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? See the contrast? He said, Jesus is greater than everything. The angels, well, if the words of the angels and the prophets was binding and there's punishment, how much more? Now that we have Jesus as the complete and full, should we be paying attention to the words? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Here's really the crux of what I want to say this morning and. This is telling you, us, that if we've heard the good news of Jesus Christ and we've received the gospel and then say something like this, okay, I got it. Jesus died for my sins. That's great. Now I'm going to move on to greater things. There is no greater thing. There is no greater thing than knowing and loving Jesus Christ. If you do, you're going to move away from Christ, not deeper into him. The person and work of the Holy Spirit was given to us as the presence of God in our lives to help reveal to us in a greater extent who Jesus is and how we follow after him. Many of us are struggling. We came to Jesus, we've come to church, we've learned about all the church stuff, But we picked up somewhere that there's another message that if we can just find it and act better, we'll feel better. But when we come to Jesus, receive his presence in the person of the Holy Spirit, we don't move on, we move in. Any other move is a move away from him. By the way, what does the author of Hebrews say? Why were signs and wonders and gifts of the Holy Spirit given? As a testimony that Jesus Christ is exactly who he says he is. God testified that Jesus is exactly who he said he is by distributing the Spirit, distributing the gifts of the Spirit by signs and wonders. Now this should, I don't want to wreck, everything in one sermon, but could it be that at times the church has used gifts and signs and wonders just to build up itself rather than testify to the greatness and glory of Christ? They were Signs and wonders are really signposts for unbelievers that God is who he says he is, not for believers to kind of feel better about themselves. I'm all for signs and wonders. I believe we should be walking in them more, but they should result in people coming to know Jesus Christ. 
Are you stuck in your Christian life? Did you come this morning kind of feeling like you're stuck? Or maybe even feeling like you want to go back to something? Or thinking that maybe Jesus is not enough? Or maybe you came thinking that Jesus is just your co-pilot. You're the pilot. He's sitting in the right-hand seat. If you get into trouble, you can turn to him and he can help get you out of trouble. Tim Keller uses this illustration. He says, think about this. If the distance between the earth and the sun, well, he says, the distance between the earth and the sun is 93 million miles. And he said, imagine that that's about the thickness of a piece of paper. The 93 million miles from the earth to the sun is about the thickness of one sheet of paper. Goes on and says, then the distance between the earth and the next nearest star would be a stack of paper 70 feet high. If you were to compare them. And the distance across the galaxy, the diameter of our galaxy, would be a stack of paper 310 miles high. And our galaxy is just one speck of dust in the universe as it is. And Jesus holds all of it together by his word. Is this the kind of person you think is your personal assistant? Your co-pilot? This is all about Jesus. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Creator, the Sustainer, the Redeemer, the King, your Savior, your Lord, your God. You want to get unstuck? Consider Jesus greater. Lord, I pray this morning that we would wherever we've wandered off to, we would come back to Jesus. We would come back to your greatness. We would come back to your glory, that we would move deeper and deeper into you. And Lord, I pray that as we launch into the study of the book of Hebrews, that God, your greatness and your glory would be revealed in our lives. Lord, I I know that there are people here today that are struggling with some of the same things I've struggled with about feeling stuck or feeling like, why am I no better than I am or just some issue. And I pray, Lord, that today we would realize again that all that matters is you. And that, Lord, when we come into you, when we move into you, that, Lord, your greatness and your glory would permeate our lives. Lord, we ask your forgiveness where we've tried to make you in our image rather than receiving who you really are. The truth of who you really are. Lord, we ask for a breakthrough in our lives today that the lies of the enemy would be exposed and the truth of Jesus would be revealed. Come, Holy Spirit, fill us up afresh and anew, revealing more about Jesus. Stand up with me if you would.
As we close, I would just like for us to go back and to sing the song we sang about the greatness of Christ. Adrian, lead us. <laughs>